So today I'm actually going to do two things, by God's grace. One, I'm going to give you a short update on ISI for the first five to eight minutes. And then, uh, Lord willing, as Bob said, keep it short and sweet. Around 30 to 35 minutes I'll be preaching to you from Psalm 84. And I think they tie in well together. So uh, we'll start with an update from ISI. There's some lovely people in this body. You see Sharon up there as well. This is a ministry to the University of Texas at Dallas Students. Master's students, almost exclusively, who come from two countries, uh, China and India. And there's a population in those countries of three billion almost, or something like that. Um, So we do three things at the meetings at a house. And usually it's at these lovely people over here's house, David and Sharon Garrett. One, we eat food. And so you can see a picture of some of the food we've eaten there. Um, And a knife in Sharon's hand cutting, looks like the pie. Uh, we also play games to build friendships together. Um, and you can see uh, one of the times there in our wayward or missing son, Philip Johnson, who is no longer a part of our group. So we, so we eat, we play games, and then finally we do a third thing, which is the most important of all, even though they usually don't think so. And that is we give a message to them about the gospel. So the three parts that we have every time. Uh, the last... Two years, it's a kind of a two-year cycle, right? So they come, they're here for two years, and if they attend for all two years, they really get to know us. You have seen them, right? You can say that. You have seen them. The last two weeks previous, there were two new ladies, Chinese ladies, um, Amber and Michelle, that uh, had trusted the Lord, and many others over that time. And so this year, um, we will hope to do these things again. We do things outside as well. I go bowling, and we hope to introduce you to a new set of students by God's grace. Um, throughout the time there, uh, we have had three particularly... Now, there have been around seven or eight or nine people who have made professions of faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Three of them are particularly close to our hearts and walking closely with the Lord. Um, Wei, you guys remember her? We prayed for her and sent her back to China. And the good report is that she has found a church, a home church, we believe... Um, and she is attending faithfully, and she has not married an unbeliever. That is a big thing. So praise the Lord for her faithfulness. Paul, you can see Paul up there. He is a believer who is one semester left at UTD. And right now, um, yeah, he witnesses to Hindus on campus, and he preaches the word where he goes. And then finally, you have a picture of Amber. And Amber, on the right-hand side, by that pole, that's Michelle on the right and Amber on the left. She's kind of special to my wife because... My wife developed a good relationship with her, and she told us at the beginning of the two-year thing, kind of after she heard the gospel, she said, I don't want to be like all these other Chinese people who say they're Christian for the things. I want it to be because I really do love God. And we thought at that moment God was working in her heart, and sure enough, this last semester she came to know the Lord and was baptized in a Taiwanese church. We, we are so thankful for your participation in this ministry. We couldn't do it without you. In fact, this week, I even had to call Kim Mizuno and say, Hey, can you drive a van for us? I said, Yeah, sure. And then, lo and behold, I guess this Thursday, he's going to eat a meal with three of them. Praise the Lord. They are going to hear the gospel. We are their first contact. I want to share with you um, a couple of ways in which you can participate in one story, and then I'll pray and get into the text. Uh, we need help with food. Many of you have already done this. Don't grow weary. (laughs) Another two years is coming. Take heart. We need your food. (laughs) Talk to Sharon. Uh, We need your prayers. I can faithfully say, because I did it the first year, 
that every one of these students who regularly attends is covered in prayer. And I think that's a big reason why many of them have come to know Jesus as Savior. So David has a prayer list, and we'll be updating that. If you'd like to pray for them with us and for the hope of salvation for them in Jesus Christ alone, please talk to David. And finally, there's something that some of you have done before called friendship partners. Um, That means that you will sign up on a list and others who have willingly signed up as well will come and meet you and kind of have this family relationship with you. You can talk to me more about that. And if there are enough people interested here to kind of feed our home group as well, we'll have a training session. Um, I want to share with you then... We can turn the PowerPoint off, Steve. Um, I want to share with you one experience this week. And we'll pray and start. Um, So last year, the Indian Student Association which is the governing body for all of the new students. And this year, I think the figure is finally now like 1,500 and some odd new. This is not just like students. This is new students. And so the Indian Student Association has asked us to help with rides. Well, because of that, they said, man, they used to oppose us. They used to tell their students, don't go to these people's houses. They're going to make you become Christians. And you know what? Yeah, certainly that's part of our goal. We don't hide that. But this year, they asked us for help instead of opposing us. And then they have asked us to come, me and one other guy, and present what we do and a little bit about Jesus and give our ministry to the entire new student population of Indians at UTD. I mean, this is a place, guys, where they're talking about Hindu festivals. And then we get to come into the midst of that darkness. Well, last week, an American lady stopped us from doing that. But that actually turned out for the good of God. I was up out of my seat and she said, sit down, we're not going to let you present. In the Middle Eastern culture and and Asian culture, you just don't do that. So they have given us this week on Tuesday, from 9 to 10, a special place. Not at the end, right in the middle of their presentation. So be praying for that, please. God's name is being known down the road with people that you and I could never hope to reach. And we'd be put in jail right now for what we're doing if it was in India. So let's pray and ask God to bless the reading of his word and the scripture and pray for that. Father, thanks for this opportunity that we have here. I pray that our body would continue, not grow weary in the ministry, and that your name would be lifted up. May it be lifted up in Psalm 84 too. May we see that home is really where you are, God, and may we long for that. May the trials of this earth not take us far from you, but lead us to you, O Lord Jesus. We love you. I ask for help today in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 84. And then just kind of look up after you get there. Maybe you're there already. You know, there's a reason these places where the the students come is called a home group. Because we want to give them a feeling of home, American culture, and uh, help them out when they're here because they're far away. You know, Jen and I, uh, I think we can uniquely identify with this. We're from Iowa. In your terms, we're Yankees or Northerners, right? And so seven years ago, crazy to think, but seven years ago, we joined this church, and um, we've been living here since then, but it was not easy at first. We, we longed for home. I hated the hot weather and still do, kind of. I didn't really care about you Aggies and your weird sayings and stuff you did. Like, and, and especially, and especially uh, something that you dared to do was called mowing. You mowed your dirt. Like, you mow lawns that are dirt, and when it's dry here, the first house I had, they asked me to mow the lawn. I'm like, over there, and I'm pushing over dirt. I'm like, this is not a lawn. Like, if you've been to Stan's house, he's got a great lawn. 
our lawns in Iowa are 10 times better. So it was a weird place, right? I had to drive 30 minutes just to see a friend, like to go to the grocery store. I'm like, what is this place? Yeah. What is it that makes, that made us and makes you and those who have lived anywhere just know what it means to long for home? Yeah, it's all those things. Family. Uh, it's where people are that you know. It's knowing where you're going. It's all of these things. And I think that in this sense, home is really an interesting place, isn't it? It's a place where we came from where we are from in origin, but it's also a destination, a place where we're going and a place where we long to be at the end of a hard day. Um, I want to give you a background of this psalm to help you understand the context of it, I think. So Psalm 84 is, is kind of a psalm of Jerusalem or Zion. It's a pilgrimage psalm, I think, of praise. And so at feast times, Deuteronomy 16.16 16 commanded an Israelite man and his family to go to Jerusalem three times a year. And I am arguing, um, if you want to talk about it later, but I'm going to argue that this is one of those times called the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles in which the Israelite community celebrated God's deliverance in the wanderings of 40 years and then eventually made it into the land. And so they would bring a tent to Jerusalem. And they would bring provisions for the way and a sacrifice. And so, I think that this is the setting for our psalm. I think it's likely expressing this. And can you imagine then, with a big population and a relatively small city, especially when this was probably done either David or Solomon or the tab- tabernacle or temple, like the, the picture as all of Israel. Now, they didn't obey all the time, as we know, but during good king's times they probably did, would come and pilgrimage, take that walk to Jerusalem. And it was a walk. So they would come to Jerusalem. And I think this psalm is about that. I think it's about movement from desire to fulfillment. I think it's about movement from far to near, from ordinary to extraordinary, from the countryside to a beautiful place with the people of God. And I think it probably actually answers, there's no question here, but imagine in the mind, if you will, it answers this question. Why should I go to the temple? Why should we go to the temple? So let's read the psalm with that in mind. Psalm 84, I'll be reading from ESV. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My flesh, my heart and my flesh, sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So can you imagine then the picture again picking up on this theme for an ancient Israelite? You know, it answers kind of the question, where is home? And so, you know, the psalmist is answering maybe the question of that in the context of a little son. Imagine a son or daughter. Okay, like my son, Hezekiah, right? He has this 
wonderful thing. He says, Daddy, I want to go home at the end of a long day, okay? So, so this son or daughter is asking, like, why is the temple home? Why are we going there? And you can imagine a father or mother telling them, well, well, look, I want to be there because it's a great place. I long to go there. It's where God is, and it's where I feel safe. So they would get ready to go, and he's answering that question for his son or daughter, or maybe a friend, or maybe even themselves questioning, why should I go this year? Why should I go and meet the Lord there? It's really a love letter, guys. This begins with an interesting statement, doesn't it? It says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. How lovely. This is a term God uses to talk about his people. Usually, it says, How beloved are my people in Isaiah chapter 5. And so the psalmist is beginning with love for God and his, and his place. But really, it's God. The place where God dwells is there and lovely because he is there. Now, if even the birds, in verse 3, if even the birds find a safe place there, well, then certainly we can. And this evokes in you thoughts of the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, doesn't it? Where Jesus says, man, if God even cares about the sparrow, certainly he cares for us. So don't worry. Don't worry. And that's where the psalmist feels safe at, is where this is, where that bird can go. And ironically, that bird is one of the cheapest ones. It's almost like it's worth nothing. And yet God even cares for that. And that's what the psalmist is using there as a figure of speech for us. This is a personal God. This is an intimate section. You see what he says here? How does he address God as my king and my God? This is an intimate take at the beginning of a psalm of pilgrimage. This is a place where he's known. He knows what it's like. He's been there. And he wants to be there all the time because it's so great to be there. But he can't be. And so he almost laments. But he says that blessed is the one who gets to be there. Said, blessed are those who dwell in your house. That word blessed, one of the guys on Wednesday challenged me to kind of look that up, and I'm glad he did. Because we kind of skip over this, right? But blessed in the context of this and in the context of the Old Testament really meant kind of one thing, to be envied. To be envied because of what God had done for you. Why did God bless Israel? So the nations would know and want that same intimate relationship with God. And so blessed here is this idea of envy. Like, this is a person who is to be envied. I want what they have. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Relationship with God, being where he is, means that we have intimacy with him. Jesus, now here's the cool thing. I love this. In John 1.14, it says that he came and tabernacled among us. This says that blessed are your tabernacles. This is pointing directly to our Savior. It says, wherever he is, I want to be. And you know what he said? He came to live among us. Jesus came here to this earth and made a home with us. And so we can have a home with him. And he is lovely. He's the one to whom this psalm points directly for us. I love um, this story because it really encapsulates, encapsulates whatever you want to say. My first point, that home is where God is. You know, Jim gave me permission to tell this story um, about his mother and the ending days of her life. And so I'll probably get some of it wrong, but I think I've got the gist of it. She had a home in California. And she had a lot of stuff. And it was a big home. And it was a hard move for him and his family, he says. In fact, he used the word, I think, terrible. 
they ended up having to move in different parts. And if any of you have ever done that for a loved one, especially a mother or father, that's a difficult thing, especially moving states and a place where you've lived a long time. And so she was not happy. That was her home. And so they eventually had to get two big storage units here in Dallas, in addition to the two-bedroom assisted living house that she went to. And so uh, she would often visit those, longing for her home there, because that consisted for her at that time of what her life was. That's where she felt safe. That's where she longed to be, is where her things were. She missed it. And so time passed, and I guess not much had changed outwardly, until one day, Jim went over to the house that she was living in and found her weeping, I guess sitting somewhere weeping. And she was asking for forgiveness from him and from the Lord, And she had made a profession of faith. And she was overwhelmed. And the reason I tell you that is because the evidence of her faith at age 90 was not some great work she could do. Not the amount of people she witnessed to, but it was in two things. One of them, she never went back to those storage units, he said. And the second was, she told all of her friends, and everyone here, Bob is the one who put me under this, that she wanted to be home. And she would very clearly clarify, not California, not here, she wanted to be home with the Lord. That is a picture of longing, right? Forsaking all of those things. I think this psalm then communicates to us that home is where God is. And really, it doesn't matter what you've done. There is safety there for you. Whether you're old or young, whether you're black or white or Asian, it doesn't matter your race, your color, your anger, wherever you're at, God wants you to make your home with him. And that's the person of Jesus. There is a safe place there for you and me and each one of us if we would only come and long to be there with him in his courts. I think we need to then examine our affections, don't we, guys? You know, my affections are up and down often. And I think if we're honest, we can say the same thing. Oftentimes we long for the wrong things. You know, Pokemon Go is an interesting thing isn't it, nowadays? I know many people who long to go out and play Pokemon Go. Maybe you're like Braxton's friends and they long to go have a drink and forget the troubles of life. Maybe you long to go shopping on Amazon or Zulily. Maybe you long for your computer game. Maybe you long for your wife or your kids. But God? Like, can I really long for God this way? Psalmist says you can. He does. Those of us who are nearer the end of our lives, not me, maybe, maybe, But I I know Leonard has a longing for the Lord that has grown and grown. Guys, I guess what I'm saying is take the first step. And that's what the psalmist is going to do. He's going to say, my longing takes me that way. So try it out. Try it out. I would say try it out. See what it means to long for the Lord. In particular, I love this quote. You can't put down, right, something that really grabs your affections, and that will be the Lord if you have not started that journey. You can't put it down. One person, and it's a French name I can't pronounce, so I won't try it, but he said this, Absence diminishes commonplace passions and increases great ones. As the wind extinguishes candles and kindles fire. And so I say to you, pursue the Lord, as the psalmist says. Long for him. To be where he is, is home. Now, the psalm moves then into into the next stanza after the Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Through, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. 
I can imagine then using this picture of an Israelite, Israelite sojourner answering this question. Okay, if it's great at the temple, if it's great there, like what's the journey like? How do we get there? What's it going to be like along the way? Maybe it's a child for the first time going to worship the Lord with his family. Maybe it's a person who hasn't ever been on their first trip. So maybe I think a good way to look at this part is what's it like What's it like to be home with the Lord? What's it like to go to the temple? And I think he answers, you can imagine saying, well, well, everyone makes it. It's great to go along the journey. In fact, we not only make it, but he makes us stronger along the way. He protects us. And you'll see, just come along with me. So I think that's what's going on here. I think this idea of strength is in you, coupled, if you you parallel those verses 5 and 8, you have an idea of dependence. Dependence for the journey. So to say strength is in you, I don't know. I've never heard him say this, but imagine. This is pretty crazy. Imagine Patrick saying he can't fix his own car. Now, okay. That'll, you'll probably never hear that, right? If any of you have know Patrick, he fixes cars and can do anything. But imagine if he said, hey, can you help me fix my car? First I'll be like, you're joking, right? But really, that's an act of dependence, isn't it? Saying, I need help to do this. I'm not strong enough or wise enough. And that's what the psalmist is saying. And I think prayer, too, guys, the pilgrim's path is paved with prayer because he knows he needs God's help. He cannot rely on himself. And so the way to the Lord starts with depending on him and not on yourself. Israelites needed this pilgrimer, if we're talking about literally now, an Israelite would need God's protection. You know, when you try to exterminate an entire race at the command of God, people aren't going to really be too friendly to you. If you attack and conquer and take their land, even if it is the right thing to do, they're not going to like you. And so, I mean, literally, guys, we have accounts of people being murdered at passes. Maybe it was someone who hated God. Maybe it was someone who hated the Israelites. Maybe it was just someone who was hungry. We have accounts of real robbers coming, and that's to say nothing of the time. If this is the Feast of Tabernacles, it's a dry, extremely dry time. So they needed water, provisions, protection. Look, there's no concealed carry in Israel at this time. Okay? You didn't have a handgun you could pull out and shoot the guy who's going to come steal from you. No, you needed God's help. There were no flashlights when it got dark along the way to Jerusalem. And if you were journeying from a place far away, it certainly would take you a few days to get there. And so this Israelite person, this family, needed God's help. I think the great encouragement for me, though, in this section is this. And this is why I chose this psalm. And this is why I think God demonstrated it this week, as David and I took like 300 students total over two weeks while I'm preparing to speak. Each one of us makes it to see the great king. Each one of us gets to see Jesus in heaven. That's the reality. The promise is there. They not only make it, but they're blessed along the way. I love this language. If you look with me for a second here at this place in verse 6, it says, as they go through the valley of Baca, that's probably weeping. It may have been a literal place, but in other words, a metaphorical term for a hard time. Okay? They make it, this is a hard, in Hebrew it's hard, they make it a place of springs. So the idea is they either find springs or they dig a well, maybe, probably not, but... In other words, they do something to get water from the ground where it naturally comes. But here's a really cool thing. If this is autumn, and this word for rains 
is usually translated early autumn rain, then if it was autumn, there should be no rain. And so the psalmist is saying, God gives a special provision along the way. We think we can do it on our own. Maybe even, maybe even we do provide sustenance to each other, but God gives rains when they shouldn't be there. Have you guys ever experienced the blessing of God on the journey to Him right now where you really needed God's help and a special provision and He did it? Man, my life has been that the last two years. Each one who has a baby knows we need that. <laughs> each one who has dealt with the sorrow of life, and that's each one of you, knows that we need God's special help along the way. It's, it is what God does, and that's His promise, guys. A relationship with God, what the psalmist is saying is that relationship means that even on the way, God blesses you. I think part of the blessing is in the journey to the place with God. For us, that will be death if if Jesus does not come back. I think that's something that Jim's mother clearly understood. And something that the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 clearly understood. He said, all these people, they didn't get their reward. They were looking for a place real home that was not found here. They were looking to a reward that was not on this earth, a home in which they were journeying toward, but which they and we will receive in the kingdom of heaven to be with Jesus. Now, some of you know me quite well, and you know that I like fantasy, um, and you know particularly that I, when you think of fellowship and a struggle to get somewhere, I really like the Lord of the Rings, Okay. So some of you have seen that, some of you have not. But there's a particular scene that I love in that movie. And it's when Gandalf, so the guy who's really a picture of Jesus, because Tolkien was a Christian and wrote it, I think, as an allegory of the Christian life. And there's this company of people trying to destroy this ring, which is a picture of indwelling sin. And they're trapped in a city. And they're about to die. They think they're going to die. And this is their conversation. I didn't think it would end this way says one of the hobbits. And, no, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back, and all turns to silver glass, and then you see it. What, Gandalf, see what? White shores and beyond, a far green country under a swift sunrise. Well, that isn't so bad. And Gandalf says, no, no it isn't. To be with the Lord, as Bob said recently in a memorial service here. For us, to be with the Lord, death is the next step. It's the gateway into bliss and into the face of Jesus forevermore. But unfortunately, there are two paths, aren't there, after death? Those who do not know Jesus as Savior, those who do not depend on Him for salvation alone, they will be not with the Lord, but apart from Him forever in eternal punishment. But those of us who do right now, and are depending on Him, will be with Him forever. Guys, if you're struggling with sin and want to give up, remember that the journey has a sure end. We will make it. We will make it. Guys, if your body is decaying and fighting your very existence, which I know is true of some of you, at this very moment, remember, you know where you're going. The psalmist tells you, you will make it to see the great King. Guys, if your family or your co-workers or whatever it is seems in t- turmoil and there's no end in sight, don't forget the promise of the psalmist today to you. You'll make it. You will make it. There's no question about it. And guys, 
as I look out on this body, I see that God's promise is fulfilled in you and me every day. I can look at you and name things that you have done. Certainly your mind can go back to times in your life, even in the last year in which God has miraculously caused you to make it. I don't know what it is. I mean, what particular thing, particular thing comes to your mind? But for me, it was an IRS bill we couldn't pay, and I found $1,800 in my box. I know for, for some of you, it's being free of cancer. For, for some of you, it's just pressing on in faith. For some of the people that I talked about in home group, it's beginning that journey. Whatever it is, guys, there is no doubt. You and I will make it to see the Lord if we depend on Him. So I guess then this leads us to the last point of the psalm. I can see this family saying, well then, if I'm going to make it, is it really worth it to be there? You know, I've got all these lions that could attack me. I've got these people who want to kill me on the way. Maybe that would frighten a child. It would frighten me. (laughs) Knowing that there's some fear along the way, some real possibility, and that's to say nothing of the fact that we need water along the way. Is it worth it? Is this journey worth it? And I think the psalmist answers that. He says, I picture him saying to a son or daughter or a mother to her son or daughter, man, there's nothing better. You just have to get there and see. There's nothing better than being with him. It's incomparable. Put it another way, one one brother said to me on Wednesday too, if you think about it this way, Jeff Humphreys would never trade places with you or I right now. He is home. He has made it to where God is, and he would not want to switch with you or I. Everyone who starts on the path makes it, and it's incomparable. I think there are some cool things that are going on here. I just want to point out one in particular, and that is this. The doorkeeper is an interesting thing. We think like someone who keeps a door is kind of a lowly position. It's probably not the best way to think about it here. A doorkeeper at that time was very important because he controlled access to wherever they were going, whether that's a king or the temple, right? A lot of other places, this word and this idea are something like this. Waiting at the threshold like a beggar. Waiting to enter. Waiting for someone to enter. And so I think this metaphor actually fits very well for a pilgrim coming. If you have a bunch of people trying to make a sacrifice at the temple, guess what? You're probably going to wait, maybe even outside the temple, before the presence of the Lord. And so I think that actually fits very well. This person says, this psalmist is telling us, it's better to begin the journey and end up waiting in line than to not even go and stay with the wicked people. I think that's a really good way to think about this. And that's true. A relationship with Yahweh is with God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, who is the commander of armies himself, who is the one who is our shield and son. He protects us from the wrath of God. He did that at the cross. He gives light into our hearts where there was no life before. He does those things. So he is the one to whom this psalm points. And we enter into the incomparable home of God by faith in him. There's no other way. Dependence on him is what God desires for us, to be with him, our son and shield. Jesus paved the way to access to the Father. So guys, is it worth it? Yes. He satisfies every need of the believer, it says here, doesn't it? What? Does, any, does he withhold anything? Romans 8. Anything? No. 
Not a single thing we need, we cannot find with him. Now if home, catch this too. Now if home is where God is, and God is dwelling with his people now, then right now, you and I are in the presence of God. Right now, with his people. And so all of these things find their fulfillment in some sense in the household of God. And that's what uh, Tom was preaching on in Second Peter, that we are built into the household of God. And so right now, in some sense, not ultimately, but we are seeing the fulfillment of us in our lives. You know, going to the temple uh, was kind of like, uh, for an Israelite, and going to church is kind of like degaussing a ship. Now, I got this illustration from a brother. I had to look it up because I had no idea what the heck that meant. Um, but I looked it up, and basically when a ship travels on the ocean, it has to, like, it, it picks up a magnetic field. So they have to do a special thing to it to remove the magnetic field. Why? So that it's not in danger. Because mines will come and blow it up. It can be e- much more easily detected by the enemy on the open sea. And so it's a little bit like that for you and I. Coming here... To worship together is really in the presence of the Lord. And that removes the stain of the world in a very real way. I guess then, down through the ages, Christians have needed to feel the presence of God in their churches and where they met. Because, as our brother Ken said, we have most times lived in antagonistic cultures. And we certainly are there. We are not headed there, guys. We are there. If you share Jesus with someone at work, you're going to probably be rejected or fired, most likely. So we are there. But when we provide a place that people feel at home, they will long to be with us, just like we long to be with the Lord. I think that's true of our body, and may God cause that to be true of us. So I guess in conclusion, I have a couple of things to say. First, remember that home is where God is. That each one who makes the journey to him, who begins that journey, they make it. There's no doubt. There's no question. You're not going to be stopped. Death is not a stop. Opposition is not a stop. We make it. And indeed, the psalmist is saying it's the most satisfying place to be. All of our needs are met with him. I think there are two things then that we need to, we need to think about. First, for all of us, this isn't for unbelievers. This is all of us. There's great danger in wrongly appraising the worth of Christ. I, uh, I've had several different jobs in Dallas. One of them, for a summer, was working for kind of a, a, as a subcontractor with my wife, actually, for a man who did work for Capital One Mortgage. And the reason we got that job was because at the time, the housing bubble, right? You remember that, 2007, 2008? Well, one of the bad practices of banks at that time was to buy a house without ever having looked at it. <laughs> and, and then what would happen is that bank would sell it to another one without, and so on, and they'd never have seen the house. And sometimes my wife and I did, the work we did was to check and make sure, at least from an internet perspective, that everything matched up. We were kind of appraising that house. What would happen is sometimes you'd find a house that was like way overvalued or completely trashed like flooded, all the windows broken out. So the bank that eventually bought that and sold it would lose like hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes. I think kind of, that's what the psalmist is saying. Guys, we need to, in my own life too, rightly appraise the worth of Christ and the journey. 
because it is worth it. He is worth it. Pressing to him, being with him, is worth it. I think the second looming question, and the final one, is how do we develop into a people that really do desire God like this? And I'll say one thing. Uh, It doesn't happen overnight. You don't go to bed one morning, one night, and wake up one morning and just really long for God. It's developed over a lifetime of practiced, faithful obedience to the Lord. And um, I think that's true in my life as well. And I'm not just talking, guys, about Bible reading and prayer. Those are absolutely important. But let me tell you one thing before I close that really makes me long for God. When I go into a home and I'm able to preach the gospel and I'm rejected. Man, that is humbling. I mean, I still... I still am, wells up in me to really want to like punish that person. But it does the work like it did with Moses. It humbles me. And in that moment, I long for God more than any other. Jen and I had the opportunity to go to a home of three Hindu men recently, and we didn't have a chance to share the whole gospel, but man, that made me long for a time when God's name is exalted as it ought to be, when we will be with him forever. So my final word of encouragement to you this week is whatever that journey is whatever that means for you this week whatever it means for you whatever makes you long for God do that thing and stay away from anything that doesn't because Jesus is worth it you pray with me Father we are exiles in a foreign land and we long for you We pant and thirst for righteousness to be with you forever because you tell us that is a blessed state to be in. Father, we confess that our longings are not always there. We ask for strength to do that and help us to rightly love and value the Lord Jesus because we know that that is our destination for those who hope and depend on him alone. We love you, Lord, and be with us this week. In Jesus' name.